0: Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett, and I hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. I'm joined with co-host Jonathan Schmitz today, and we've both been in ministry and leadership for just about a combined total of about 35 years. And as damaged as we are, we hope to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Jonathan Schmitz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris. Glad to be here.
0: So Jonathan is the sales trainer and leadership consultant, or is a sales trainer and leadership consultant um, over at J. Schmitz Coaching, and he actually was a teen in my youth program two decades ago. Like that's how long it's been. But we had been touching base on Facebook and we end up getting excited about similar things because organizational leadership and leadership coaching and different things of that nature is something that we both really enjoy, that we both kind of nerd out on. And over a Facebook video that that Jonathan was doing, I kind of commented and said, the church needs this. He was really talking about some sales stuff and he's found some huge success through different organizations like Cutco and, and things like that. Um, and... So I wanted to bring him on and just kind of let him share his heart and kind of dialogue with what I would consider kind of the rising leaders in the church, which would be those in their early 30s, high 20s, and kind of talk about where his heart is at with where the church is at. And so Jonathan, welcome. Thank you for being here. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you. I guess I don't particularly care to talk about myself too, too much, but I do think when you're having a discussion where leadership is involved, that credibility is important to the conversation. So my Background comes from the world of Cutco and direct sales. Uh, some of you actually listening to this may have been either clients of mine at one time or may currently use the product. It's pretty incredible. But uh, over my course of my about nine and a half, 10 year career there, I uh, ended up leaving the number 150 rep in company history over 70 years out of over 2 million people to ever sell a Cutco knife. I was a trade show coordinator for the greater Houston area. So running a team of about 20 to 30 sales reps at any given time helped them scale from a little over 650,000 in annual revenue and behind the booth to $1.3 million in about 2.5 years while losing our top producer. Um, and then was a company certified mentor for about 3 or 4 years. Going to stay there as well. Average person I worked with experienced 35% year-over-year year growth as well. So along the way, you learn a lot of things, kind of get kicked around a little bit. You know, and definitely... A lot of the lessons I've learned on my end come from my own personal mistakes and things that I would, you know, in hindsight that I would do differently. But the advantage of working in a model like that, especially whenever you look at working with an organization that's primarily 1099 contractors, is a really strong credit to the Cutco model and the company itself is there's such a strong basis in leadership and sales training there that I think applies to pretty much any industry, any organization overall. So that's my background. I guess I worked in roofing a little bit last year going in the middle of a pandemic, decided that trade shifts when they got shut down, I should go door to door if you want So I had a little bit of experience in some different ministries and in different areas there. But uh, now my, my passion is teaching others and helping to give back.
0: I imagine that uh, your biography, everything I learned about transforming the world, I learned from a knife, you know, like there's just something about that. And in regards to cut coat, Jonathan, I actually did cut coat when I was 17 years old. And I ended up stopping when uh, I was showing off a knife and, and someone was like, let me try. And they ended up cutting their finger pretty significantly. And so I was like, I'm out. Anyways, long story short, you end up motivating a number of young adults and even people right out of high school to do something that is seemingly uncomfortable for them, right? Especially as we enter into Gen Z, and that's interact with other people. (laughs) I know that sounds weird, but like interact with other people and then do so where there's an ask. And so you help young leaders or young people become young leaders to step into that realm. And I can't help but think that that skill set is something that everyone in the Catholic Church needs as we need more people in the vineyard to be mobilized to do something that is sometimes uncomfortable, and that's bringing the gospel to the hurts that people have, you know? And so what what is one aspect of leadership that you saw in your experience that maybe exists as a poverty in your experience in the church world right now?
1: That's a really great question, Chris. I think everything when it comes to leadership starts with the basic premise that no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, mm-hmm. right? And every single person out there is intrinsically self-motivated. That's neither good nor bad. And I think that can sometimes be spun in a negative light it can actually be a very positive thing. you know. For example, I'm married, my wife and I bought a house here a couple of years ago. So I am motivated to do whatever it is to make sure that my wife is provided for and that my house is in order and things are taken care of. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think oftentimes we can forget that, especially people in leadership positions, it's very easy to overlook the fact that people work in specific areas for a reason. And one of my biggest experiences in learning lessons, which was painful at the time to learn, but the reality is that people quit people, they don't quit positions, mm. right? And so when you look at why people stick with certain areas or certain ministries or certain things, we probably all know someone who's working at a role that maybe they're more qualified for, they could financially earn more somewhere else or do something different, but they keep staying there and they just seem super, super happy. We've also probably have a friend that is making a lot of money or appears to be making a lot of money and they just seem miserable all the time, right? And like, why is that? What's the difference in between those? In my experience, it oftentimes comes down to the person that is really happy where they're at and has been there for a long time, they feel cared for, they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel like they have an impact on what's going on around them. And the reality is that environments like that don't come about by happenstance. They don't happen occasionally or casually. Nothing great occurs without great intention. And so in my experience, there's some lessons and consistent threads you know, that, that show up in those areas. And I think that, you know, there's there's just fundamental principles that for most people with a business or leadership background seem relatively basic, but they're actually not as commonly held and understood as most people would believe. Yeah. Yes, and I think there's a great opportunity for that in the church.
0: There's something profound about the phrase called and equipped. They're two separate realities. And I think a number of people, especially in ministry, but also in uh, other vocations, they are definitely called. But sometimes they're not properly equipped. I think about a number of Catholic priests that I know that enter into seminary and they spend, you know, 90% of their time on formation for things like sacraments and pastoral ministry, pastoral care, which is amazing but then they get tossed into a 3,000 family parish. And next thing you know, they're the CEO of a multi million dollar organization with 20 employees and 400 volunteers. And that type of leadership and management training had not been offered, at least not to the scale that's needed for, to find their success. So again, they are called, they are clearly called. We have some amazing ministry leaders as well. I think about myself, how I was called into youth ministry. And then all of a sudden the program grew to over 100 youth, which required double digits for volunteers and, and things of that nature. and then then we struggled again. We hit this new threshold and I was not equipped at that level. And the way that I got equipped was I had some people pouring into me, but I also made a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, when it comes to the clergy, there's not a lot of forgiveness on the on the lady's behalf when mistakes are made or when like growing pains occur and things like that. And so I think that training, at least in the seminaries, for some of this leadership aspect, and again, I know that some of it exists, but I'm not sure if it exists on like a, an executive scale. So what would, what would your hopes be for maybe priests that are in it right now? What's a step forward that they can take to move from that calling and kind of strengthen that equipped aspect?
1: That's a really great question. and I'm not sure that we have time to fully dive in and unpack everything there, but I think some simple things that could be done, I'm going say in that particular realm, setting really strong pre-frames and expectations of things with client, whether it's with a client, whether it's with a member of your team, a new volunteer, just really, really clear communication. I find clears up probably 30 to 40% of all problems with an organization. When you start to look at people's frustrations and where things are going wrong, it oftentimes comes down to a lack of communication there. Um, It can feel like a little bit of a task at times. I know for me personally, like especially when I'm just in go mode, I just want to get things done. And so taking extra time out to communicate to somebody else what I'm doing or that I'm not available can be really tough and can feel like one more thing that I have to do on my plate. Um, I find that that when I take the time to do that, though, other things in my life tend to run a lot more smoothly, and I think that that's one area that's just a very simple, you know, plug and play fix for a lot of people, right? So an example of this might be how um, to have a conversation along these lines. You know, let's say that you hire someone, you're a priest, you come into a parish, there's someone in a position that's, you know, that's there, that's been established and has been there for a while, right? Yep. What I find oftentimes happens is when someone inherits an, an employee in some capacity or they come in a new role, they just assume this person knows how to work with them. They just assume because you've been here for so long, you know everything, right? And sometimes they do. But oftentimes what I find happens is that anytime there's a change in leadership in any capacity... A really fundamental, important conversation is just to introduce yourself, get to know them, and just and make sure that you're both on the same page and you have the same expectations. The person that was in that position before you may have done certain things differently or may have had certain expectations that were different than yours. And it's really easy to get your wires crossed in that scenario, right? Because, oh, well, you didn't do this the way that I was hoping you did. And it's like, well, you never told me you wanted to in a new way. and All of a sudden, there's conflict and tension in the organization. right? And if that conflict or tension is not addressed, not addressed promptly, um, then it's going, going to fester. Right? So if you don't create avenues for your people to talk to you or communicate with you in some capacity, they're going to communicate that to someone in some way. Right, So having healthy channels in some ways that are productive and can actually produce change or something different, I think are fundamental in a lot of these cases. A really easy way to have that conversation is just to sit down and say, hey, lay out your intentions from the very get-go. Hey, I know I'm brand new to the position. You've been here for a long time, so I'm sure there's a lot I could learn from you. And honestly, I'm sure there's some things I have that were probably helpful for both of us here. But my intention today is just to make sure that we're both on the same page, create a smooth work environment, and let you know that if you ever have any questions or anything ever comes up, I want you to come to me and here's the appropriate way to do that. Right? Can we both agree to doing that? Does that sound good? All right, awesome. So tell me a little about the role you're in and tell me about how things have been going. Oftentimes we forget to speak the unspoken. We forget to say the things that we know in our heart to be true or we hope that someone's going to read into our actions or understand that based on our behaviors, this is the way I feel about this particular situation or person. But more often than not, what I see happen is people forget to say those things. And in the absence of information, people will create their own story. Yeah. And so that's where it starts to, it's very easy to see things start to spiral. And it's, we've all probably been a part of a situation where there was conflict in some capacity, but by the time we finally sort out and get to the bottom of it, it's like, if you had just told me that we could have had one simple conversation fixed it in two sentences and would have saved ourselves six weeks of going back and forth and all this like stress and you know drama and everything else that comes along with it, right? I also think it, you know, as a as a key point here. Uh, Our priests deserve, they should be held to a high standard because they are called, but they also deserve a lot of forgiveness and they deserve a lot of grace as well. And I think that oftentimes because they are seen as the leaders of the church, they're the leaders of the organization and admittedly so, like as they should be, right? But we also forget at times that they're human simultaneously, just like the rest of us. They're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. There's going to be things that happen that we don't necessarily have all the information or background on. Just from the outside looking in, it looks really terrible, and so it's very easy to jump to conclusions in those scenarios. I I will say that, you know, in my young 29 years of life, I have yet to meet a priest that intentionally says, "Man, I was just really trying to mess up that project. Or I was right, really trying, right. I was really trying to micromanage that person or whatever it is." They're doing the best they can with what they have in the moment. And that's the reality. And they deserve our grace in that. And quite frankly, I think more there'll be a lot less drama in the world if people would just be willing to have a civil conversation with each other and try to get to the bottom of things.
0: Amen. So one of, one of our favorite authors, Brene Brown, she, in that book, Dare to Lead, says, yeah clear is kind, unclear is unkind so clarity, clarity, clarity is one of the pieces and i want I want to speak it's not just priests, but it's actually all ministry leaders that that can fall into this reality but uh there there was there's an element of humility that needs to be a thread there, especially during transition and I know that they do some at least in our diocese some conversations with the pastors as there's transitions that take place. But like transitions are a given part of a diocesan priest's life. Like every every five to nine years, they're going to be transitioning from one parish to another. And so that type of change needs some formation and it needs, it needs some really a lot of humility in regards to going into it. But there's two pieces I want to draw from what you said. One is there was a pastor that said to a youth minister, I have hired you because I do not know how to reach the youth that's why I'm bringing you in. I want your expertise not just to reach the youth, but also to teach me how to reach the youth as well. And so there was a the humble disposition in regards to it, like, I can't give what I don't have. And I've experienced that in regards to some of the coaching where a priest hires me and says, I don't know how to pour into, or I don't have time to pour into this ministry leader. Would you please pour into this ministry leader with, with some coaching? But the the second one was a, a priest, his first homily, he was the associate pastor at a parish that I was at. And his first homily, it was great. It was your your typical homily, you know, nothing too memorable, at least here 10 years later. But at the end, he said, and by the way, if you want to learn more about me, read this book. Loving an Introvert. And that was the title of the book, or it was something like that. He goes, I'm an introvert. So if you see me standing off to the side, not talking to anyone, I'm not avoiding anyone. I'm trying to recharge so I can come back and love you more because as an introvert, I recharge by stepping away. So that's why I step away. And he just kind of told us about some of his mannerisms that could be misinterpreted or that have been misinterpreted in the past. And he was just humble enough to be kind of vulnerable in a healthy and reasonable way, vulnerable with the people to say, I love you guys. And I want to journey with you guys. And in order to better journey with you guys, I need some time away. And I think pastors and uh, and ministry leaders, it would be awesome if they could just say, I know you guys expect me to know everything, but I don't know everything. And I need a little bit of time to figure it out. But I too desire excellence here. I too desire excellence there. And so I am open to ideas and suggestions, but I need to really take some time to pray through this, to discern this, to to grow in this area, because I can't make instant decisions like you guys desire me to make. And I think there's there's a reality that it's not just, the clergy or the ministry leaders, but also the laity and those that are being served in ministry, there needs to be some understanding that, okay, yeah, we're actually building this together. We're not asking them to build it for us.
1: For percent I think, you know, you have made a really great point there, Chris, that I think makes sense. Not just, I mean, really in any organization where multiple people are involved, or there's layers in that capacity. But one of the biggest mistakes I made when I first came into, you know, my role in the Cutco world, running their trade show team and being their events coordinator was I felt the need to, not only prove myself, but I felt the need to make everything perfect, right? And Hal Elrod, in one of his books, I believe it's was The Miracle Morning, he talks about giving up the, the need to be perfect for the opportunity to be authentic. Right. And that really is what you're, what you just sit on there, because the reality is that everyone sees the balls that are being dropped. Everyone sees where things could go wrong. Quite frankly, they probably see them even better than the leader of the organization does because they're intimately involved in ways that the leader doesn't have time or capacity to. And so learning when to lean on people's expertise, by the way, for that associate pastor, that's an incredible tool that probably saved him weeks, if not months of conflict and having to figure things out later on, or like bad sentiment within the church, just by having a really simple two minute conversation with the, you know, with the parish his homily. That's incredible, right? Small things like that, it, they seem very, very simple, but just communicating clearly and saying, this is where... I'm at, this is why I am. And it's not personal. It's not about you, right? People feel in control of a situation or feel familiar and comfortable with the situation when they understand what's coming, even if they're not the person that's in charge of what's coming next. And so by setting that frame ahead of time and telling people, if you see me doing this, this is why, that's amazing, right? And that's, I, I wish that that seems like a very common sense, very simple thing to implement. But the reality is that that was probably a learned behavior from somewhere. And it's something that I think would do, would do the entire church better if we could learn to communicate like that.
0: Amen. Yeah. 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 Um, Another piece that we talked about in our uh, kind of pre-conversation over Facebook Messenger, which, by the way, like it's so cool to reconnect with someone over Facebook and be like, oh my gosh, what you're saying is so exciting and the church needs it. And then all of a sudden, here we are. But ongoing formation, right? And so my question to you is, in your nine years at Cutco, from year one at Cutco to year nine at Cutco, the knife game was probably the same, but the demographic was probably a little bit different. Can you speak to how things change over time and why ongoing leadership formation is still something very necessary?
1: Absolutely. You know, your job as, a, as the leader of any organization is to have a vision that's so large that everybody else's vision inside the organization can exist inside of yours, hmm. right? And I think that's one thing that gets overlooked. Another portion that gets, you know, one of the fastest ways to kill an organization is to have a leadership that's growing at a slower pace than the people that they're leading. Wow. Right. And so if you're leading an organization in capacity, your people as they grow are going to consistently look for higher levels of leadership, which is going to demand more and more from you Mm -hmm. as the leader right in that particular capacity. You know, speaking specifically to the Cutco world, what my position, especially moving in more of like a coordinating role was I got the privilege of being able to work with people that were more on the professional side. So we did work with some college students and some people that were in the 18 to 22, 18 to 25, kind of typical, you know, vector marketing Cutco demographic that they're known for. But I really had the honor and privilege of leading a group of sa- seasoned sales professionals that were running 12 month year round businesses. And the reality was that in that position, I was being called to care for someone who was brand new who had sold you know ten or twenty thousand dollars with the product uh, all the way up to someone that had been here for 15 years those a two you know had sold more products than, than I had you know over two million dollars in career sales and I had to as a leader I had to find ways to provide value and tie- in people at both those levels and make sure their needs are being cared for which there was a steep learning curve with and it took me a while to figure that out and obviously made some mistakes along the way but I think about most churches and that's going to be the reality as well right you're gonna have your your pastoral counselor people that are that are there that are more intimately involved or you know learn learning how to, you know, people that are have experience in business or in life in whatever areas. I think if we can empower people more, you know, in general and, and understand that just because you're the leader of the organization, it's not your job to know everything. Yeah job is to facilitate. Your job is to coordinate, put the right people in the right places and empower them and let them speak to their strengths at a very high level. One of the greatest marks of leadership, in my opinion, it's also very kind of a hallmark of young leaders and something that I you know struggled with early in my career, especially in that new position, was I felt the need that I had to be right and I didn't want anyone to see the things that were going on, right? So if something was not going perfectly, I was like, oh no, don't say that in front of the team. Like, we'll talk about it one-on-one. I would try to like prevent people from seeing it only to come to find out that everybody on the team saw it. Everybody's Saw that what I was doing, and I saw what was happening, and it did, it actually like lessened their trust in me that I wasn't willing to address it and speak about it openly.
0: Right, because hiding it is almost like saying I'm going to handle this on my own. I don't want anyone's help. When you have a good team, they're actually like, actually, we can pitch in and help fix this. And if we all do it together, we can get it done a lot more efficiently.
1: And a lot of times, those some of the best ideas that we had were literally from just candid conversation with team members and just saying, you know, oftentimes I would work alongside them and it's just like, so what do you think about this? Right. And knowing for a fact that like, you know, and telling them like, Hey, like, This is, you know, whether you want to say it's off the record or it's, hey, this is just between the two of us, but I'm not interested in lip service right now. I don't need quote unquote, yes, men. I need someone to just tell me exactly what's going on because, you know, I would tell my team this is like, I can help fix and we can help fix almost any problem that's in front of us. We can find a solution to this, but we can only do it if we communicate with each other. We can only do it if we know what's actually going on within the organization. And oftentimes the people that are facing those problems that you're seeing as the leader are oftentimes the people that are intimately involved with them and they probably are the most qualified actually. actually, to help make the decisions to say, hey, if if you could solve a situation, how would you go about doing it? Amen.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things. One is there is not a parish in the world that God desires poor ministry to be taking place. And so the resources and the skill sets and whatever is needed to be successful in any parish already exists in some level. God desires that. In some some places that means that you have to hire and bring it in from the outside. Other places you have to be patient and grow it from within. Other places that you have to be bold and say, "Hey, I can help out in this area or I think you'd be gifted and you should help out in this area." But there's not a situation where success is not desired by our God, and our God is bigger than all of us, and so it's possible. But the second piece is something that you that you mentioned. I think this is something for ministry leaders. The goal of this episode is not to talk about, "Oh, priests need this, so let's be frustrated." But it's actually to say all leaders need this. And we're using priests as an example because they're they're kind of the clearest leaders in our church kind of experience. However, if you're a leader in of any ministry or something like that, I want you to listen to it and think about it. Because one thing uh, Jonathan mentioned early on is to communicate expectations. And it's not one of those sales techniques where you undersell and then over deliver or whatever it is, but it's actually to be able to say like, I desire this, but we're not able to go there just yet. So for example, At Ablaze Ministries, we're really focused on outreach, and we have a number of missionaries that have really done ministry this last year in a pandemic setting, which means that outreach has been extremely difficult and in some places not possible because of some of the limitations. And so I had a missionary come to me and say, Chris, what do we do? How do we do this? You're asking us to go, you know, 100 miles an hour, and we've been in neutral for for the last year and prudently and neutral. I'm not I'm not complaining or arguing or, or, or downplaying it like prudently and neutral, what do we do? And I kind of encouraged her I said, whatever you ask your volunteer team to do, make sure that you're doing that as well. And then go one step further. And so over the course of the next three years, if you want your team to, to be down the road this far, you need to make sure that you're modeling what you want them to do next year, and you're accompanying them while they're doing some of the tasks this year. So outreach looks like having points of contact beyond just the youth ministry gatherings, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean something like going to every single football or soccer game, but maybe the ministry leader needs to be modeling that so that next year, you can say, hey, remember how I invited some of you to come with me to the games? Now I want you to go to the games on your own, and I'm going to be going to school lunches. And all of a sudden, you take it to a deeper level and a deeper level. But to create that idea of like, this is going to take time. This is not an overnight experience. And I want you guys to get caught up in that vision, kind of that that big why, the start with the why type of thing that Simon Sinek talks about so much. How do we captivate people in that? But then we also partner that with modeling, modeling what they're supposed to be doing and journeying with them, but also Modeling one step further, this is where we're going. So, I'm going to take that first step as a leader and step out into that next level so that you can join me next year in regards to it.
1: Absolutely, you know, a couple of things that you mentioned there. The first thing that came to mind as you were sharing that story, and I appreciate the share very deeply there, but you know, what is leadership if not service, right? Like, what is leadership if not actually serving the people that you're leading, right? And when I think about you know, the idea of I think leadership oftentimes can get confused with authority in different areas. And the reality is that authority comes from position and the reality, like there has to be someone who is a leader. There has to be a quote unquote chief or head or someone that's actually making certain decisions. Right. The true leadership actually comes from permission. It comes with permission of the people that you're leading, right? To so give you permission to be their leader, to understand it and say, this is a person that I'm willing to follow, right? And so people will always overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Mm. I think the expectation is everyone wants exponential results. They want exponential results. Yesterday, yeah. While that can happen in some cases, you know, and it's not unheard of, the fastest way to get nowhere is to try and go there fast, right? In my experience, you know, the easiest way and the fastest way to get where you want to go is to go slowly and consistently. Yep. And it's the small building blocks of whatever is happening. So, for example, it could be, you know, hey, what? A great question to ask if you're a ministry leader, if you're a priest listening to this. In my opinion, is what's one thing that I can do today to help move move us one percent closer to our goal, right? So, I think it's you know, there's a, a performance. Psychologist I worked with in uh, in college, our, our baseball team I played at Tarleton State for for four years. His name was Brian Kane, and one of the things he talked about was just be one percent better today than you were yesterday. Right? Don't try to, buy, you don't have to be thirty percent better, or hundred percent better. You don't have to have exponential, whatever. Find one percent today and do that. And it was interesting because if you look at one percent compounded over three hundred sixty five days, yeah, it's something like thirty seven times better than like whatever. You're like it ends up being like thirty seven you know, a thousand percent or whatever it is ahead of where someone originally would have started. And that's so amazing to me, 3,700, I guess, not 37,000. But it, it's that to me was so eye-opening of like, oh, and I think about times in my life where I've experienced the most growth and the most change. And it was very rarely one specific instance that came in and just all of a sudden the switch flips. There's a couple of those in my life as well. But it was whenever I started making consi- different decisions consistently and I allowed those to compound. I think Einstein is the one that said that the greatest force on the planet is compound interest. And I had a, a a uh, leader in, you know, of mine and a coach of mine told me one time that that's not fully accurate. The greatest force on the planet is compounded commitment. I think that really speaks true for anything with what anybody's working on is having consistent building blocks. What's one thing we can do? Don't try to solve everything but hey, don't try to have the whole puzzle figured out or together. Just create a roadmap and say, we're going to put one piece in place right now and do that consistently.
0: I love that phrase, compounded commitment, because that is one aspect that we talk about ministry leaders in general, but priests specifically have compounded commitment in a way that most other ministry leaders don't. They've literally laid down their lives, like literally the mar- nose to the marble type of thing um, for this. So so their commitment level can't, can't ever be questioned. Um, and and that that's beautiful. And we do see that in a number of priests, I know you and I have uh, a friendship with Father Dean, who was uh, the pastor back when you were uh, a teenager and just some of the different legacies that he's left behind in some of his leadership as well is really a, a fruit of that compounded commitment, which is which is beautiful. I want us to touch on just one last piece, and that's the burden of leadership. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but other people get to sleep soundly at night because we lay awake at night thinking about these things or wrestling with these things. and uh, And I don't want us to forget that, especially when we're talking about priests or leaders in the church that like there are people that are really, really agonizing over these decisions. And so how do you kind of coach people or encourage people to, to navigate the burden of leadership when it becomes really heavy? Because there are moments of ministry we are all familiar with that are just super fun. The harvest is a blast, but man, breaking down that hardened soil to be able to plant a seed, it's it's a burden. So how, how do you encourage people to deal with the burden of leadership, especially when things get heavy?
1: I find that the, the most fulfilled people that experience fulfillment most consistently in any organization, whatever it is they're doing, they typically speaking have three tiers of people that they're running with. Uh, someone to learn from, someone that's a mentor, that's a guide. They need to have someone they can vent upwards to and have some type of, of help with. You need to have someone that they're running with that's a peer in there that's experiencing the same things they are. You need to have at least one person that they're teaching at the same time, right? So they're being poured into, they're sharing, and they're giving back in that capacity. And by doing that, it meets a lot of different human needs around certainty, around uncertainty growth contribution you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs within that um another portion that i think helps a lot especially because the reality is that being a leader is a tough position a lot of people i think will aspire to leadership in some capacity but they overlook the fact that like yeah like it's great like you said whenever the harvest is here it's amazing it's so much fun there's aspects of it that are why you go into that particular position or thing right but there's also portions of it that like that also means that you get to make the hard decision if there's someone who's been at the church or on parish council for example for 15 20 years and they're not performing at a level that they need to anymore. And the best thing for the organization and for the church is now they need to be replaced. Right, That's a very difficult conversation to have, especially for someone that cares as much about people as so many of these leaders do, because that's fundamentally why they go into these positions. It's because they feel it's a calling because they want to give back and serve. It's not for financial gain most of the time. It's not for... Oftentimes they're volunteers or they're just giving because they want to help and they feel called to. Understanding why your people are there and what they're actually looking at the experience, I think is big. I think that another portion that helps people, especially whenever. They are, you know, they are in that leadership position. While there needs to be a healthy degree of separation between the leader and people there, that authority needs to be in place at a certain extent. They need to be able to play that card and make those decisions whenever they need to. I do think it's very important to have a vision that's big enough that everybody contributes and, and understands that this is a group collective effort. We are doing this together. And that for me as a, as a leader, that was one of the things that I felt most frustrated with, especially during my time in Cutco, is I felt like I'm just, I'm giving and giving and giving. And these people don't even appreciate what I'm giving for. I'm bending over backwards. I'm losing sleep. I'm, I'm so frustrated and stressed and I don't and I don't even think they even see it I don't even think they understand what's going on and it was so Profoundly touching. Whenever I made the decision and I made the announcement that I was leaving and stepping down as our coordinator, we, there were literally three different team members that cried. Wow! At that time period, and that was so—it's one of the most profound memories I've had in any leadership position before. Or since I don't think I'll ever forget that. Right? But but
0: how hard was it to not know that that was the impact you were making until you were at the end of the road? You know what I mean? Like that—that—that that, that must have been a challenge too. I mean, I know you knew probably along the way, but uh, but you didn't know that it was that profound. You know?
1: Yeah, that was that was a huge part of it, right? And so for. One, I admittedly, mean, like there's a little voice inside of me it was like, if you guys could have told me this earlier, then maybe we could have avoided some of the stress on this whole thing, yeah, right? But yeah. you know, it's also, you know, seeking out feedback systems. I think it's it's never the job of the leader to solicit praise in any capacity or anything like that. You know, I think great leaders is a characteristic of great leaders is that when something goes wrong, they're one of the first people to step in and shield their people from whatever's happening mm. and take, take full responsibility. And also whenever things go right, they're some of the first people to point the finger at, at somebody else in the organization that did it. It, right and so their people are constantly being filled up and shielded from certain things there has to be levels of accountability of course in any organization but being able to you know to act in that particular capacity being able to do that for their people for those that are listening to this that maybe are, are in a youth ministry program or are members of a parish make sure to love on your leaders and just ask them like hey how are you go out of your way to send that text message and say thank you for doing this yeah Five dollar Starbucks gift card at the right time and the right moment for the right person can mean so much more than any capital campaign contribution or anything else. For sure, because the reality is that oftentimes it you know it can feel lonely at the top. It can feel like you're out there by yourself. Um, the last thing I would say, Chris, I guess to kind of some of your, you know, to answer your question more fully, having a vision that everyone is bought into for the organization and for what the, you know, in this instance the church wants to achieve is so vital, and I don't think it's talked about enough, right? Because you're always on either a positive or negative side of momentum. Neutrality doesn't exist. You're either growing or dying. Mm. And so there's so many people that come in and they feel like their responsibility is to simply maintain the organization, especially if they're inheriting something with an existing staff or a business is bought, and a priest is coming into a new parish, you know, et cetera. When you're moving into a certain organization, there can be a feeling that's like, okay, well, they're doing well, so we just need to like keep it going. Well, it's the same reason the prevent defense doesn't work in football and it gives up more, you know, it gives up more touchdowns than what they've been doing for four quarters, right? Right. The same idea and same concept. They're trying to just they're trying they're focusing on what they don't want and trying to just like keep the ship spinning versus saying, no, here's where we're going. This is what's happening. I mean, imagine a ship that you become captain of, and instead of saying here's our course and where we're going, you're like, hey, just don't say, you know, like no one would ever do that in any capacity. That just seems ludicrous even saying it, but we don't treat our businesses the same way. So as as a leader for a priest or a minister that's leading an organization, having a vision of what it is you want to create and the best leaders bring their people in, For that vision, it's not them speaking and saying, "Hey, here's what I want to go and what I want to do." It's like, "Hey, I think this would be really great, but you're you're crafting this too." Where do we want to go? What are things that we want to do? What do we want to see more of in our organization? What's something if we could just wave a magic wand and it was best in class? It was the best ever in this particular aspect. What would it be? How would we do it? What do we want to be known for? And these are conversations that seem very very simple, but that really it's just a simple matter of shifting focus onto where you want to go rather than preventing what you don't want to happen.
0: Right. And the beauty there is, what are we willing to say no to? so we can say a greater yes towards this vision and towards these areas. And that creates the bandwidth to be able to do some of those things. So, okay, we are past time, but I am so grateful for you, Jonathan. One last closing piece is I want to let you guys know that good leaders are also good followers. So make sure that you're following Jesus Christ intimately, but also, especially if you're an employee at a parish, that you're following your pastor's leadership as well and pouring into helping them grow in that area in any way that you can add value. Um, Jonathan, if people wanted to uh, continue the conversation with you, how could they find you or get in touch with you, a website, a social or something like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website for my company is MyLeadershipLegacy.com. Uh, I also run a free Facebook group, actually, where there's similar types of leadership and sales content. It's called My Leadership Legacy, Produce, Provide, Prosper. You can find us on Facebook uh, or feel free to shoot me an email, Jonathan at MyLeadershipLegacy.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation online and please send any feedback you have to MLA at Ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. But if you want to go far, we go together. So take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and think about that 1% question. How today can we take 1% forward? How can we be 1% better? And we will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.